My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to not lose a lot of money and put it in context. So we're going to try to teach and educate and make it clear what you can do in this environment. I want you to call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even after today's relentless beatdown, Dow plunging 569 points, that's me plumping 2.04%. NASDAQ knows having 2.83%. I don't think the sell-off's necessarily over. Although you can never be too sure, because there are so many things going wrong at once that we could mount a nice rally, even if anything, even anything gets a tiny bit better. Now, I find it impossible to be philosophical about losing money. And in a time like this, it's not just financially devastating, it's emotionally devastating. That's why I've developed a set of rules that allow me to at least keep calm when the market's rolling over. I need you to adopt these rules so you can think clearly and not say, oh, my, down 2.8%, it's time to go. Instead, I want you to be opportunistic. The first thing you need to do, though, before you can be opportunistic, you've you got to nail down the proximate cause. What? Proximate cause of the sell-off. What happened here? Right now, you hear, well, it's bonds, it's interest rates. But does that really tell you anything? What is really going on with bonds, interest rates? How can the Dow dip into the red for the third quarter? How is it possible that the NASDAQ could be down 2.8%? Okay, I'm going to tell you. First, inflation is proving to be more of ingrained and less transitory than Fed Chief Jay Powell originally predicted. In fact, inflation is actually accelerating, which makes the Fed's forecast for a calmer moment seem increasingly unlikely. He needed to see decelerating. He got accelerating. Now, Jay has plenty of wiggle room. He can say that inflation will be under control sometime next year. However, there are real signs of overheating everywhere. We learned that housing prices were up 20% year over year in July, which is terrific if you're already a homeowner, but real bad if trying to buy one. Mortgage rates starting to go higher. Uh, that will make homes even less affordable. We know that home builders are going full tilt to add capacity, but it, it doesn't seem to be enough. And you, by the way, that's a negative, negative for the home builders. While the economy may not be overheating yet, when you see that kind of action, it means that things are getting too hot to handle. And that's why the stocks of the home builders are just being crushed, even though you hear of tremendous demand. Of course, this is not a normal economy. So historical precedent can only take us so far. See, home prices are going for a variety of reasons. Most of them still boil down to COVID. To COVID. People are working at home, so they need more space. They didn't come back. I speak to every, so many CEOs. They're talking about February, March now. Now, this wasn't in the cards when the pandemic got rolling, so the homeowners didn't prepare for it when they made their plans long before the year began. That's why all the inputs for new houses are still in short supply. We aren't in a position to quickly build more in order to meet the demand, in part because we simply don't have enough workers. New homes are in such high demand that the homebuilders can pretty much raise prices at will, uh, but that can't last. It's another reason why their stocks keep going lower. They're sucking you in. Remember we had Amy, uh, we had uh, Ivy Zellman on? Now, I got to tell you, Ivy Zellman, you might have missed this on Friday, but she is so bearish. I'm afraid she's going to be right. I'm afraid she's going to be right because we got accelerating inflation, we got higher mortgage rates, and we can't get these homes built. Next problem, something I didn't see coming, it's natural gas. Now, we've done a couple of pieces that were positive. We had Shreve Suki on, we had Carly Garner on the charts, but natural gas is crushing us. 
after bouncing around the bottom for ages, it's now more than doubled this year. That means your winter heating bill will be a lot more expensive this year, thanks to hurricanes and lack of pipeline capacity. But you won't understand that. See, we know the price spike can be a real confidence sapper because it always comes as a surprise and always comes at Christmas time and always cuts into retail spending. We've gotten so used to abundant natural gas in this country that most people in their 30s are on down. They can't even recall a time when their heating bill doubled. Gasoline's going up, too. Price of crude keeps climbing, Brent hitting $80 a barrel before pulling back a bit. Now, because the price of gas is posted, you tend to dwell on it more than, say, the price of milk. Be glad we aren't in Britain, though, where they have gasoline but lack the truck drivers to get it to the gas station. If you want to ask me which one's going to peak first of all these, I, I will say natural gas. The reason is because both Sharif Suki uh, from Tel- uh, Tellurian and before that from Chenier and Carly Garner said six to seven is where it's going to, buy- it's going to peak. Now, third, we got a supply chain nightmare that no Nobody saw it coming, and we don't know how to solve it. That's what's so net. We can't we don't know how to solve it. We didn't realize our economy was so reliant on imports. Our port system is set up for much less traffic. Plus, our intermodal shipping containers are set up to flow from west to east, not vice versa. So now the containers are in the wrong places. Shipyards aren't adjusting to the new traffic. Do not ask me why. Meanwhile, truck drivers are in short supply. So getting things onto trains has been a nightmare. I was hoping we'd get some relief. But when we spoke to Lance Fritz last night, the CEO of Union Pacific, He didn't offer us much comfort. He said we need the pandemic to end if we're ever going to get back to some degree of normalcy. I found myself begging Lance to give me some positives, and he wasn't going to give me them just to make me happier. That's not the way he thinks. Which brings me to number four. I'm going to keep coming back. COVID's got to end, all right? It's just got to end. We don't know how many people are staying out of the workforce because of the pandemic, but it's probably a lot, maybe as many as 10 million. We know there are jobs where you made $18 an hour before the pandemic that now are $22 an hour jobs, yet they still can't find people to work. Have you been to a restaurant that didn't have a help wanted sign? I was hoping those signs would be down by this point. If they come down, though, they're only going to be replaced by signs that say they're closing at various convenient times because they can't find enough staff. Very European and not in a good way. More on this point later in the show. Fifth, I'm of two minds about this infrastructure bill. Really am. I mean, on the one hand, you have to figure that these big infrastructure projects will create even more wage inflation. <laughs> Can't find jobs. Nobody, nobody, we have many, so many more jobs than people. On the other hand, given how long it takes for our government to build things, you might not need to worry about that until 2023 at the earliest. Six, this chip shortage is so intractable that I doubt it will be resolved by the first quarter of next year, and I thought it could be. The semiconductors we desperately need still aren't expensive enough for foundries to manufacture them en masse. I wish they would just raise the prices to where they could extract enough value and make more right now. We know automobile chips, which are dumb chips, so to speak, or full features, they like to call them, make up just 4% of the largest foundries production. That's Taiwan Semi. And they're not going to start making chips, uh, cheaper chips out of the goodness of their heart. Either these low-cost chips get a lot more expensive or they just don't get made. Of course, is any of this, you see, Jay Powell, is he in charge of any of this? I mean, I read about all these people. They, they attack this guy constantly. Hey, Senator Warren attacked him. I, I, I thought that was unreasonable. He doesn't make chips. He doesn't pump oil. He didn't know cashiers need plexiglass screens that are now in short supply. He didn't know we can't make enough plastic. He didn't anticipate that we wouldn't have enough windows or doors or appliances or sinks or tubs or toilets or, or anything involving, say, like grouting. You know, I mean, hey, floor tile. 
I can't get four. If you have four thousand, just give me a jingle and direct message me. Even the home builders couldn't predict this, and that's their business. Every one of these issues stands in the way of higher stock prices. Do not even get me started on the debt ceiling. Possibly have government mandated default. No matter how fanciful, it's pushed bond prices down and bond yields up. When you've got rising interest rates and raging inflation, most stocks are roadkill unless the underlying companies have the ability to raise prices without having to hire more workers. And you know who has that? The only group that goes higher oil and gas. Tech in particular is being eviscerated because the whole group is allergic to higher interest rates and inflation. Problem is, the market's been up for so long that we're practically due for a pullback. And maybe this isn't enough. At this point, it's only safe to buy the stuff that's been completely mauled or could be coiled springs. If you stay tuned, I got four that you must track. My Chapel Trust, we're only touching stocks that have lost 10% of their value in a very short period of time. We did some buying today. We're not selling. Why? Because we've got plenty of cash, and we like it when the market comes down so we can put it to work. Are we in a this-too-shall-pass moment? Sure. But the this-too always hurts, especially... It not hurts the Eagles quarterback. That hurts, too. Especially because you have to get used to hearing that Jay Powell must raise interest rates to whip inflation now, which means these people want him to trash the economy in order to save it from inflation. If you can't take the pain, it's not too late to sell something, but please only on a bounce, as long as you're nimble enough to get back in at a lower level. But the bottom line, the idea that everything will continue to be awful, that all six of these dice rolls will come up snake eyes, no, that's too easy. Something will go right with one of these. It almost always does. The self will eventually right itself. I just think it's worth waiting on the sidelines with new money until we figure out how things can turn around. Or your favorite stock gets clobbered to the point where it's too cheap to ignore, like the brutal meltdown in Micron after the close. I want to go to Jason in my home state of New Jersey. Jason. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Jason. First, first of all, thank you for all that you do. My family and I watch you every day, including my five-year-old son, Jason. That kid's got horse sense. <laughs> he does ask why you scream often, though. <laughs> um, I called about ticker symbol GPS, Gap. Yeah. It's down 30% from its highs. Its uh, chart looks great for the year. It's, uh, it's in an uptrend. Fundamentals are great. They own Athleta, which is giving Lululemon competition. Uh, they own Old Navy, which is doing amazing. But Banana Republic, they're turning it around. And as we all saw what Kanye did for Adidas, he seems to be doing the same for Gap as I'm with jacket. you. I'm with Jason and Jason Jr. This stock, by the way, did quite well today. That is a fantastic sign. Jason, you got a good one, and I like the way you are thinking. Now we're going to go to Mitchell in Arizona. Mitchell! Jim, I'm confused. Why is Pfizer in the low 40s and Moderna's hovering in 400 range? Well, because Moderna's perceived to have a new technology that can be used in a lot of different things, including vaccines for cancer. And Pfizer's regarded as being having a really bad patent cliff. And so, therefore, it could be uh, after 2023 in trouble. I don't think so. I happen to like Pfizer. I like Moderna, too. And uh, I don't want to be too negative on the drug group. Everybody else is. All right. Today, it was ugly. Uh, sell-off may not be done, but remember, nobody ever made a dime panicking, and not all these can continue to go wrong. Stay calm. You need to know the approximate cause of the sell-off, and I've got the list right here. Eventually, something on this list is going to get better. I think the most likely one is the end of the natural gas move. Uh, I wish it would be the chip shortage. That would really help the most. Well, made money tonight. Could an investment in Sonos, which needs chips, be music to your portfolio's ears? I'm going to talk to the CEO to learn more about the speakers' company's reign in the auto space. And of course, they're bigger than speakers. They're a platform. 
Then the market took an ugly turn today, taking down some of the turbocharged growth stocks I just mentioned. I'm going to go off the charts. You've got four that you must watch and one that I think you should buy. One out of four, but that's going to be your pick. And so investors have their sights set on tomorrow's direct listing from Warby Parker. I'm going to have a bird's eye view of the company. And uh, sharing it could be, well, seeing if it could be the stock to watch. Man. How cool. I've always thought I was cool, but this is just proof. Well, okay, maybe not that cool. But stay with Kramer anyway. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What do you do with Sonos, the home audio kingpin, now that investors have started to turn away from the stay-at-home place, shun growth stocks? Sonos is one of last year's biggest winners, because when you're stuck at home for months on end, you might as well have a good speaker system. However, the stock started pulling back from its highs this spring as people began to get vaccinated. Sonos turned around last month after the current reported a very strong quarter, and the Delta variant made us feel like the great reopening might be postponed. But September's been a brutal month for the thing. The stock's now down more than 20% from its August highs, even as there hasn't been any company-specific bad news. It's just that the backdrop has changed. So could the stock be worth buying into weakness, or should we be more worried? Let's check in with Patrick Spence. He's the CEO of Sonos. Get a better read on his business and where it's headed. Mr. Spence, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be back. All right. I want to portray Sonos the way I think it is, because, you know, I've been a longtime user. I'd like to think I'm one of the first and I am still installing your stuff. I'd like to think that there's a significant overlap between Apple and Sonos users. Now, Apple's in a half a billion households. You guys are just in the last public time, about 11 million. That's only two percent of the addressable uh, Apple households. I'm trying to take this whole thing out of covid and just saying that. If you're Apple, you might want to be Sonos. What do you think of that theory? Uh, It's a great theory. You know, even as we think about the homes that we address, we think we're in less than 10% today of our addressable market. Uh, So it's still early days. And I think, Jim, you know, one of the most important things is that Sonos is a system, right? And so once people have one, they add more. And we talk about our customer acquisition cost, our lifetime value, and the way of approaching it like that, which is very different than any other consumer electronics company. So we're very, very unique in that way. And while COVID has been, you know, a great tailwind in terms of a lot of people being at home, the reality is, is that once they have Sonos, they add more, they tell their friends and family about it. um, And we keep adding a lot more homes. And we have a lot more homes that we can address. Now, uh, two good reasons why is because away from COVID, we are in the golden age of audio. And we are also the Hollywood at home trend. These, again, don't seem to have anything to do with COVID. No, not at all. I mean, with the golden age you know, of audio that we're in, we just see with social audio, podcasting, streaming, you just saw the Universal Music IPO uh, and how well that was received. I mean, it's just an amazing time for audio. Uh, people can't get enough of it, whether they're at home or you know, outside of the home as well. 
And we're also talking about this Hollywood at home where we're seeing, I think, three times the number of first run movies that are going directly to home this year. And that's something that now that the genie's out of the bottle, we're going to see a lot more of. And so we make products that make that experience at home just like the theater. And so that's something that we expect to be a multi-year phenomenon. All right, so Patrick, then let me give you the flip side that I'm concerned about. I have a proposal out right now, my wife and I, uh, to do a, house, do a house of Sonos. Uh, and we're using uh, Geek Squad because that's who's where available. And I am telling my wife, look, there's no way Sonos can, ma- can make the deliverables. They can't. It's a complicated project that involves six different Sonos speakers. And I said, look, you think that job can be done in a month? I'm telling you Sonos doesn't have the parts. Settle this for me. So, uh, as you know, and, and you've had so many guests um, in this regard, the industry right now is probably in its most challenging time it's ever been in terms of semiconductors and uh, port delays and you know container shortages and you name it. You know, my in my 23 years in tech, um, I haven't seen a period uh, as challenged as this. But the good news is that as we look at 22 as well, I think we see more fabs coming online in the semiconductor space. You know, these are short-term issues that we'll be able to work through. So while there are some delays in the near term and certainly like a speed bump from a supply chain perspective industry-wide, you know, fundamentally, it doesn't change the long-term trajectory of our business. So you're not getting cancellations because you're saying, look, I, we just can't fill things this quarter. You're not getting that? No, well, look, we get, look, I, and, and I talked a lot about this on our last earnings call, is we watch very closely our backlog and we watch what customers, their behavior around that. And as I mentioned, it's a system, right? And Jim, now that you're in the system or customers are in the system, you know, the, the great news is they're willing to wait for their next Sonos because they've already started to invest in the system and it just gets better over time. And so people have shown the patience and loyalty. Um, we're very grateful for that. Um, we don't take it for, you know, we don't take that for granted at all. But at the same time, people have shown a willingness to wait and it's a considered purchase. This isn't an impulse purchase and there really isn't anything quite like Sonos. So, uh, you know, it's something where we just feel very grateful that customers are willing to stick with us while we have this short term um, supply challenges. OK, so let's talk about something that is unique. Uh, you argue that Google is infringing, I guess, on 164 Sonos patents. You just received the favorable ruling on five patents from the ITC. Google argues it can uh, engineer workarounds. That doesn't seem right to me. Is there a realistic path to getting Google to negotiate a licensing agreement so that you can avoid the cost and time associated with additional lawsuits? We want Sonos to be Sonos, not a law firm. Yeah, so so do we. And, you know, I think it's important to note that during this period that um, we've been dealing with Google, we as well have been innovating, continuing to grow. And we're very focused on, you know, driving the innovation in our business. But we're also going to stand up for what we've invented. Right. And, you know, we're a small, innovative American company that isn't going to let any big tech company trample all over our inventions. And so um, we felt it was necessary to take them to the ITC after we tried to settle this through conversations Uh, And the great news is the preliminary ruling came back in our favor and we'll get the final ruling in December. Um, But, you know, at at this point, um, we're very confident in the position we're in. The judge found on all five patents. And like you said, we think there's 164 um, that they actually uh, violate. And so um, we'll see uh, how it rolls out in December. All right. Now, this uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Italy and we went to Ikea. No, but it's actually Ikea, (laughs) but they call it Ikea there. And you've got a terrific deal with with Ikea. And how's that going? Because that's another place that fit to me has the zeitgeist of a Sonos. Yeah, but the partnership's been fantastic, right? So this has been a way for 
um, us really to get into a lot of new homes with different form factors, different price points into different countries as well. And so just today, uh, we announced a new uh, table lamp with IKEA. Um, so it's a speaker and a lamp combined together uh, and something that we're sure is going to be a big hit, uh, again, like our other IKEA products. And so this is one of those really important ones. And it really shows the power of our software, right? I always talk about the fact that Sonos is the story of software eating audio. And the IKEA partnership is a great example of that, where we've brought our, our great software and that experience um, and then the underlying technology into the ecosystem um, to develop something great that reaches even more, more homes. Right, one last question. How can you beat Wall Street's numbers if you're sold out? Well, look, uh, you know, I don't focus on beating Wall Street's numbers. We focus on building a business for the long term. We're having an incredible year. You know, at our last earnings, we talked about the fact that we expect to deliver 28 to 29 percent year over year revenue growth and about 150 percent year over year growth in adjusted EBITDA. So, you know, we're focused on building on that momentum, building awesome products and really, you know, delivering long term value to our customers and our shareholders. So that's what I'm focused on. That is ultimately what does move a stock price people at home. In the meantime, if you don't have Sonos, maybe try it. It's really pretty cool. That's Patrick Spence, CEO of Sonos. It's really great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Then money's back after the break. Coming up, have growth stocks given up the ghost? Jimmy Chill finds out what stopped these stocks cold. Next. Now that the market's turned ugly again, what's worth buying into weakness? Do we have a couple of charts, maybe? Right now, some of the best growth stocks are getting pulverized because Wall Street's freaking out about rising interest rates and high inflation. This kind of rotation, money managers tend to give up on growth. They think that the inflation is going to erode the value. However, when you're dealing with companies with powerful long-term themes, their stocks aren't going to collapse that easily. No, they don't do that. And when they do come down, you have to view it as a buying opportunity if you're not a coiled spring. Plus, rates are roaring right now because of the debt ceiling crisis and inflation. That gets resolved. One of these, you know what, I think then rates could stabilize or even go back down. And wow, you know what that would do? Kaboom. And that's why tonight we're highlighting four of the hottest growth stocks in this market that suddenly turned cold today. We're going off the charts with Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star duo behind the, the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter and the author of Know Your Options and a friend, because we want you to understand why this could be such a rare buying opportunity. These are coiled springs. So let's go over them. Particularly, he's looking at a firm, which you know we love, Asana, great, in mode, and then a real favorite of ours, too, Upstart Holdings. These are four smoking hot growth plays that really froze today. Given that these names rarely give you much of the pullback, Lang sees this as a tremendous buying opportunity. Worst case, they can go lower and you can buy more at a better price. I have to tell you historically, okay, if you bet on one of these, betting that somehow the rally's going to return, it's going to make you a lot of money. So why don't we start with the one I think probably has the most hope, and that's Kramer Fave of Firm. That's a financial technology company that uses its platform to give people installment loans when they're trying to buy stuff. These guys are the kings of buy now, pay later. I've told you many times that I'm a big believer in this story, and a firm stock has more than doubled since we first spoke to the CEO less than five months ago. So check out the daily chart. A firm, yeah, of course, it got hammered today. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen, right? It's something more than 10%. 
But Lang thinks you need to treat any kind of pullback here as a chance to buy, not sell. So many people here are saying, oh, my God, I'm so scared. Get me out. That's not the way Lang thinks. A firm recently made a monster move higher if the company announced that partnership with Amazon. The last quarter was a thing of beauty. Just as important, the firm's got a beautiful chart even after today's decline. I want you to look at the Chaken money flow, okay? The CMF down here. I mean, look, this is really an extraordinary thing, which tells you whether big money managers are buying or selling. Lately, the money flow has been very solid. Same goes for the moving average convergence divergence line. That's the MACD. These are all you have to see. This is MACD. It's, it's a little small. Um, but this is an important momentum indicator. After building a nice base earlier this summer, a firm stock has exploded higher in the last couple of months, often roaring on days when the broader market got hit, although that didn't hold true today. Going to this session, a firm's relative strength index has bumping up against overbought territory. So you see this right here. OK. And I have to tell you, when I look at this, I say, ooh, I don't know. Maybe this has gotten a little bit too hot. But wait a second. After such a powerful pullback, that's no longer the case. Lang says the firm is his favor of these growth, growth plays. And if the stock stabilizes, he thinks this is just under $115 name that could run to $200 in the coming months. MACD is the one that most excites me here. But these are all pretty amazing. Look at this volume, okay, on the up. That's, and the volume on the down is very little. And we still have room here. I think that this is a good chart. All right, now let's talk about this next chart is the chart of Asana. Now, this is a cloud-based work management platform that helps companies orchestrate various projects from small tasks to, to uh, major strategic initiatives. Again, now here's the problem here. I know that sounds like mumbo-jumbo. There's like 100 companies that do that, right? But remember, Lang's not thinking about that. He's thinking at the chart. Lang points out that this stock has been on a tear, surging from the 20s in May to over $100 today, even as it got obliterated as part of today's growth meltdown, plunging 10% in a single session. They all did that today. They all plunged 10%. That's what happens in a group move like this. Once again, nothing to do with the sauna company. It had everything to do with money managers reflexively jumping, just dumping the growth stocks whenever they see bond yields on the rise. They did not think, uh-oh, I'm worried about Asana, the company. They said, uh-oh, I'm worried about the stock. Like we saw with the firm, the RSI, or relative strength, okay, down here, was in overbought territory. Again, it's kind of the same picture, right, uh, going into today. So you could argue Asana was due for the same kind of pullback. However, Lang likes that the volume trends have been incredibly bullish. I mean, the stock's been roaring on high volume. And there again, remember that? That's the same thing we just showed you, right, on a firm. High volume, usually a good sign. Meanwhile, the chicken money flow, we looked at that last time. That's at CMF in the middle. is uh, And the MACD line, which is right up here. They are both looking real good. And Lang says they're robust option flow, too. He thinks the stock might be looking at a tight consolidation for the next few weeks. But as long as the sauna doesn't go down, it doesn't go too much lower. I mean, you don't want it to break through here. This could be an excellent buying opportunity. And again, I point out, you haven't had one in ages. All right. Now, here's one that I have just fallen in love with. And these are pieces of paper, so you shouldn't fall in love with them. And I've had them on a couple of times, and it's called Upstart. They're the artificial intelligence-powered lending platform that's revolutionizing the financial industry and making credit scores irrelevant. Who needs a credit score when their platform's already a better predictor of whether people can repay their loans? Well, Upstart got hit today. Again, they all got hit today because they're all one stock. It held up better than these other formerly red-hot growth names. Why? Because and that's in part because it has better technicals. Lang says this chart is, he's calling it a Rembrandt. I don't know. I, I think it's more of a Cezanne because I like the architectonic shifts that Cezanne did with the peaches and apples. But anyway, I'll go ahead. 
After breaking out of the tight base that it's been building for months, Upstart exploded higher in August. All right, so you can see this move, right? Uh, and then it rallied nearly every day for a month. Stocks made a series of higher highs and higher lows, including the last few weeks when the market was rolling over. Now, you, you remember, th- this is a remarkable run, okay? But think about it, you know, 60 to 313. However, the RSI, or relative strength index, now has an overbought reading. That's at the bottom always, right? And the stock's up roughly 160% since early August. So the line photo's kind of due for a pullback. Problem is the dips here have been very shallow. You rarely get a chance to buy it on weakness. Even today, Upstart only dropped 5.6% when these other turbocharged growth stocks were down double digits. In Lang's view, you're getting a great opportunity here. He'd be a buyer to this pullback, and he's buying more if it gets, keeps getting hit. Because Upstart's a $313 stock that he sees going to 400 Now, listen to me on this, okay? Listen to me. If this stock turns tomorrow morning and by 11 o'clock is still up, these stocks are good to go, and this kind of r- rollover is over. 11 o'clock, okay? Now I'm going to give you one that is the hottest stock that uh, Ben Stoddard and I talked about this morning. It's called InMode, all right? This is a medical aesthetics company that make devices that do minimally invasive face and body contouring. Uh, some people say it's a lot better than that uh, cool scope of uh, Abby. By using radio waves to penetrate the skin and reshape the fat tissue underneath. Some people do anything. You know that. Uh, I recommend this one in December of 41. It's now at 149. Uh, even as it's plummeted nearly 13% today. To me, that's insane. We know the Delta variant has peaked, and that means more demand for medical procedures that make you look good. Because it will soon be safe to go outside again. That's in mode to a T, okay? However, I, I, I get why the stock's been pulling back. Because it's had an insane move hard. Look at this. Come on. Look at this. It's more than doubled since the spring, and that's why Lang likes it so much. You see, in mode is giving you a terrific pattern of higher highs and higher lows. Meanwhile, the moving averages are pointing up, uh, upwards. Remember, that's we have to go look at these. Moving averages pointing upwards, really nice. MACD line just made a bullish crossover. Oh, boy. That is just fantastic. Uh, but that's where the black line goes above the red one. Uh, and it's a very reliable signal. Sure, Inmo got steamrolled today. It got steamrolled. But Lang points out that the stock has been a screaming buy every time it pulls back below the 20-day moving average. Will you look at this? Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, my God. So He's betting this time will be no different. And when the stock resumes its run, He's looking at $200 price target. Here's the bottom line. We got a huge meltdown in four of the most turbocharged growth stocks today as higher interest rates spook Wall Street away from this entire group. But the charts, as interpreted by Bob Lang, just that Affirm, Asana, Upstart, and InMode are worth buying into weakness. I have seen Lang make these calls before after monster sell-offs, and he's been spot on. It would not surprise me if it didn't happen again. Can we go to Jamal in Washington, D.C., please, Jamal? Hey, hey, Jim, how you doing? First I, time, first I'm doing time well. calling a long-time long time watcher. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. What's up? I, I wanted to see if you could give me some of your marquee wisdom on Snap. I'm having uh, uh, some trouble this week because tech sector pulled back. I know I got earnings on the 18th. What do you think? I think Snap has become go-to. I think when we talk about the problems with Facebook, okay, I think you should be thinking about the opportunities of Snap. I think you're going to be fine. I like the chart, too. I think you're in good shape. All right, now today, we had a huge meltdown in the turbocharged growth stocks, and they very rarely come in. But the charts of a firm Asana upstart in mode, according to Bob Lyon, are worth buying in a week. Now, like I said, at 11 o'clock, if a firm is up or in mode is up or upstart is, you know, these are up, boom. 
Okay, boom, it's going to be a good day. Now we have so much head more head. I can't even. It's impossible to think about. We got Warby Parker. It's set for a direct listen tomorrow. But will be will it be a spectacle? (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you my take. Then we're hearing from many executives that the labor shortage has become one of the biggest problems amid the recovery. So what could be driving this continued trouble? You know what? I actually figured it out. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. We're finally seeing some signs of strain in the IPO market after a relentless flood of new listings this month. Last week, a couple large deals did well, like Toast and Freshworks. The week before, you had that Dutch bro. But you also had a bunch of debacles, a.k.a. brands. A portfolio of fashion brands lowered its deal size, cut its price range, then priced at the low end of the range, $11, for opening down a buck and a half. Thorn Health Tech, a personalized wellness company, priced its deal at 10 bucks and then saw its stock open at $8.50. Even Sovos Brands, that's a packaged food company with a pretty good portfolio, including Rayo's Pasta sauce is trading below its proposed deal range. We've also seen some postponed IPOs, and even last week's big winners are coming down hard today. Toast is down 19% from its first day close. This week, we've got six deals fewer than last week, Hank Evans, but many of them are very large, and that includes Warby Parker, the hipster eyeglasses retailer that's coming public tomorrow in what's known as a direct listing. Whenever a highly visible brand comes public, I do like to take a closer look at it in order to make sure you have the full story. I don't want you buying something just because you like the brand, even if the fundamentals are not so hot or the valuation is ridiculous. With Warby Parker, the biggest problem is timing. This is a market that's getting really tired of new public issues. Today, it's savagely turned against all things growth. That's not the best environment for an up-and-coming glasses retailer to make its debut. Don't get me wrong. I like Warby Parker, the business. I just got a great business model. These are very expensive, very solid. Company founded 11 years ago. Goal of selling glasses directly to the consumer, both digitally and through its stores. The key difference between them and the rest of the industry, Warby Parker actually designs its own glasses, then they sell their own product. Pretty much every other glass store sells third-party merchandise. But Warby Parker is a glasses maker with its own retail distribution, meaning they can cut out the middleman, charge you much, much lower prices than competition. Vertical integration, it's back, it's better than ever. Plus, in a world where everything's staring at screens all the time, we're constantly wrecking our vision, which means much more demand for corrective lenses. Warby Parker wants to take over this industry by offering the best e-commerce experience, an area that's still underpenetrated. It only counts for 8% of the market. Most people still prefer to buy glasses in person. But these guys have a great web presence, and that lets you try on frames digitally. On top of that, they've got 145 stores where you can buy their glasses and in person, and it sometimes feels like they've already taken over Brooklyn. As Warwick Parker sees it, the glasses industry is a fossil that's dominated by a handful of major players behind the scenes, where consumers are constantly getting robbed as the market on most frames is ridiculous. They want to modernize this business and crush the competition. So far... The company's doing pretty well. In the first six months of the year, we'll be parking 53% revenue growth, 60% cross margin. They're very close to turning a profit. Now, when you do a direct listing, you're allowed to give forward guidance, unlike, uh, say, a regular IPO. So we have a more meaningful set of numbers here that can give us some insight into the future. Last Tuesday, Warby Parker gave us their forecast for the current quarter, the full year and even next year. They're talking about 27% revenue growth in the current quarter, uh, with 35 to 36% revenue growth for 2021, 25% revenue growth for 2022. Now, that is a deceleration. It's a deceleration mostly because they're up against more difficult comparisons. Remember, the first half of last year was when the pandemic started and everything fell apart. Still, 25% revenue growth seems pretty good for a relatively small retailer, huh? I also like that the margins are headed in the right direction, even if they're not talking about profitability yet. 
Putting it all together, Warby Parker's got solid financials. But there's nothing spectacular about the numbers. Good story, not a great story. And it's not a clean story because there are some real worries here. First and foremost, do people even like buying glasses online? You have to see how these things look on your face. 2010, only 2.5% of this business was done on the web. By 2019, that had only grown to 5%. Uh, sure, last year it did jump to 8%, but you got to recall that was COVID. Even with the pandemic making it dangerous to go anywhere in person, people still bought 92% of their glasses from a store, brick and mortar. Warby Parker wants to take this antiquated industry into the future, or at least the present, but that's not I'd say it's easier uh, said than done. They seem to know it themselves. Lately, the company's gotten aggressive about expanding its store count. However, Warby Parker's less of an e-commerce disruptor and more of a low-cost glasses chain. I don't know. Call me unexcited. Second problem, their market share. It's still less than 2%. Well, management presents this as an opportunity because it means they have lots of room to grow. You kind of wonder if they'll be able to pull that off. Third, the virtual vision test still doesn't have FDA approval, which is one reason it's mostly not covered by vision insurance. Maybe that approval comes through and the stock gets a boost, but maybe it doesn't. Fourth, Warby Parker is what we call a public benefit corporation. That's a B Corp. These are companies that try to make a positive social or environmental impact. For example, Warby Parker's donated 8 million pairs of glasses to people in need since its inception. That's fabulous. But people come to this store for, uh, they they come to, to, look, you, you watch Mad Money to try to make money in the stock market. Uh, so I've got to tell you, B Corps have a pretty spot, spotty track record as publicly traded companies. Even as I am a firm believer that companies all, all, overall that care about the environment will, over the long term, do better than those who don't. But the track record right now, not so great. Fifth problem, Warby Parker's doing a direct listing, and these deals often struggle, especially the higher-profile ones. Hey, remember Coinbase? Even the ones that ultimately work out, like Spotify, Slack, Asana, saw some mixed performance before their stocks took off. But, and this is big about it, we got a very strong direct listing just today. It's called Amplitude. Had a reference price to 35, opened at 50, stock ultimately closed at just 155. If Warby Parker gets a similar reception tomorrow, they may be performing well out of the gate because people just say, hey, well, Amplitude was good. Maybe we should buy this one. It still leaves us with the questions of valuation, though. Unfortunately, their latest round of private fundraising valued the company at $3 billion, which tells me this one could come in hot. In fact, after the close, we got the reference price for the deal. And it came in much higher than I expected, $40. That's got to be because of the amplitude. That values the company more than $4.5 billion, seven times next year's sales. And if it gets a similar reception to the ones that, that, amplitude, amp, uh, that amplitude received today, it could go higher still. Given that this is basically a consumer products retailer with a 25% growth rate, that kind of valuation does make me nervous. Can't really value it on the earnings, given that it's not yet profitable. Here's the bottom line. In a tough market where investors are starting to sour on new issues, I think you should steer clear of Warby Parker, unless it falls below that reference price and you can get it in the 30s. Otherwise, I recommend putting the shades on, being Jimmy Chill, and waiting for a pullback to a lower level. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time! It's time for the Lightning Round! What's up, Rockles? 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 This is Ann, Action Alert member, first-time caller. Excellent. So let me see if I can... 
I can give you a proper greeting. Booyah! Booyah! Booyah back at you! Alright, so I'm calling about a biopharmaceutical company called Cytokinetic Symbol. Yeah, now this is early stage, and now here's what's interesting about this company. Once again, we find these companies that people, that Big Pharma needs. This is a very good spec, okay? Small molecule therapeutics. There's so many big companies, the Pfizer's love, love these guys. I need to go to Bowen in Washington to see Bowen. Good evening, Mr. Chill. Oh. I have a mystery I need your help solving sure. here, man. Sure, man. I've been this chilling. Illegal- I've been chilling. What's up? <laughs> this is a legal technology stock. Dropped more than 25% over the past two weeks. There's been nothing written about it. Why it happened, why the stock sold well, off. Well, because LegalZoom. If- no. LegalZoom.com, that's the one. <laughs> LZ, LZ. I got to tell you, I've been watching this, LZ. It, it's going nowhere fast. It's going nowhere fast. You, you can't touch it. There's no backing on Wall Street, none whatsoever. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Uh, good, how about you, Jim? Good, good. Uh, I want to get your opinion on the stock that went public earlier this year. Um, should I buy Matterport? 3D cameras are very, very hot, but they're too hot for me. I'm going to have to take a pass. And that lays them. Conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Where'd they all go? The workers, the people who used to drive trucks or operate the ports or do anything related to manufacturing. Aren't they enticed by $22 an hour paychecks, the prevailing wage I saw this weekend in the burb I go to for some peace and quiet? This is the great quandary of this moment. The vanishing of the proletariat. We simply can't figure out where all the workers have gone, and it's causing massive disruptions in this economy. I ask everyone who comes on air if they know why people just won't come back to work even when they're offered substantially higher wages from what they got before the pandemic. At first, many observers, including yours truly, thought that it was all about those federal government-enhanced unemployment benefits. We figured that when those benefits ran out, people would come back to work. This is what we heard from executive after executive, especially the people running the ride-sharing companies. Well, guess what? Those extra benefits stopped nearly a month ago and many, many months, many, many months ago in some states, and nothing's changed at all. Turns out jobless benefits were never really part of the problem. So why do I think we have a labor shortage? I got a bunch of reasons. First, thanks to the stimulus checks and the child tax credit payments, people have more financial breathing room. They don't have to take any job they can get. They can afford to not work for a while. Second, there is an untold great wealth transfer going on right now between the wealthy baby boomers and their children. Even though millennials on average have a lot less money than their parents did at at this time of their lives, they're finally getting a nice windfall given how many of their parents invested in index funds for their kids. So I don't want to underestimate what I call the mooch off your parents dynamic. You may hear other people steal that like they stole Fang. Mooch off your parents. Third, immigration. For decades, we had a bipartisan consensus in Washington that immigration was good for America. But once Trump was sworn in, that era came to an end. Regardless of where you stand on the issue, when the government tamps down on immigration, you end up with labor shortages. Even though Biden's more pro-immigrant than Trump, the pandemic makes it ever so difficult for people to come here in search of good jobs. Which brings me to point four, COVID. I mean, COVID is the real cause of the labor shortage. If you've got kids and they remain home from school, you need a parent to stay home to keep an eye on them. That job is mostly full on women. 
Then there's what I call the great resignation theory. People use COVID to rethink their lives. Maybe they decided that trucking just wasn't for them. Maybe they don't want to work on an assembly line. Maybe they've given up on the service sector. Maybe they just want to chill. Look at it this way. Of course, people are less willing to work if there's a chance they'll get very, very sick, possibly even die before spreading the virus to their families. Every in-person job is now a life or death job. Most people don't like risking their lives even for $22 an hour, especially if they're working next to an unvaccinated colleague who catches COVID. So how do we solve this? You need to give people safety. Perhaps through herd immunity. Last night, Dr. Scott Gottlieb told us that we could get there in November through some combination of good vaccines and bad infections that give you immunity. I do know this. Until we get COVID under control, we'll need to be worried about wage inflation and commentators will keep talking about how the Fed needs to slam the brakes on the economy in order to reduce the demand for labor. But you don't restore the economy with rate hikes. The truth is that there's no solving this with monetary policy. The only way to fix the labor market is to beat the pandemic. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 